Good morning. What a beautiful day to worship the Lord. And what a great thing to be a child of God and to be set free from fear. Amen? Amen. Yeah. God is so good. I just want to uh, invite you, urge you to think about something that's happening in two weeks. Um, two weeks from today is the Sunday right before Thanksgiving, and we've declared it an Invite a Friend Sunday. So, yeah. Thank you, Pastor Bill. <laughs> Can you do that like every couple minutes through the whole morning? All right, good. <laughs> um, as people head into the holidays, they really, their hearts are open to spiritual things. They're looking for a deeper meaning for Christmas. And um, research shows that in general, a great majority of people say that if they were invited to come to church with someone, they would say yes. So would you please start praying this week and thinking about people in your life who don't have a church home that you could invite to come on that Sunday before Thanksgiving. Our goal is not to recruit people who already go to other churches, but almost 90% of our neighbors are not in church on Sunday morning. They need a church home. So we really want to, uh, to share the goodness of God with our neighbors. So I hope that you'll be thinking about that and praying about that and inviting people to come two weeks from today and then hopefully through the Advent season and beyond uh, as they uh, see the goodness of God. Today is also the International Day of Prayer for the Persecuted Church. We have Christian brothers and sisters all around the world who uh, are suffering, not just inconvenience, but really putting their lives on the line to, to uh, follow Jesus. We always want to be remembering them in prayer, but today the church around the world is gathering together to pray for our persecuted brothers and sisters. So before we dive into our scripture this morning, let's, let's pray together. Would you pray with me? Hear our confession, O oh God. We can't really imagine what it would be like to suffer for your name. Open our hearts to the men and women sitting behind bars because they voice their faith in you. Raise our consciousness level to the cry of those in need simply because they bear the name Christian. Cause us to respond to the youth whose education is denied because they dare to name your name. Faithful God, Make us aware of all those for whom at great cost and greater peril, quietly they call themselves your disciples in a world where being a Christian means persecution. We hold them in your light. We ask over them your courage and protection. O oh, ancient of days, help us to kneel with them in prayer and to stand with them in solidarity. Let them know that across the miles, beyond the silence, we add our prayers to yours for them. Help them to know they are not forgotten. 
May they feel the prayers of your people calling out on their behalf. And Lord, show us concrete ways our lives can make a difference. Tune our hearts to their cries when we wake, when we eat, when we worship, while we work, and when we go to rest. Oh God, keep them in our minds, and we will hold them in our prayers. This week, Lord, we also hold our nation in our prayers as we go to the polls to elect a new president and many other public servants. We ask for the blessing of your wisdom, your courage, and your grace. Lord, we also pray for all those who will be receiving an invitation to our Invite a Friend Sunday. Begin working in their hearts even now. And give each of us that Holy Spirit nudge that we need to extend those invitations that could change someone's life for eternity. We ask all this in the powerful name of Jesus, our Savior. Amen. Well, would you open your Bibles and turn with me to 2 Corinthians, 2 Corinthians chapter 9, verses 6 through 15. 2 Corinthians 9, chapter 6, no, chapter 9, verse 6 through verse 15. Listen to God's word for us this morning. Remember this, whoever sows sparingly will also reap sparingly, and whoever sows generously will also reap generously. Each of you should give what you have decided in your heart to give, not reluctantly or under compulsion, for God loves a cheerful giver. And God is able to bless you abundantly so that in all things, at all times, having all that you need, you will abound in every good work. As it is written, they have freely scattered their gifts to the poor. Their righteousness endures forever. Now he who supplies seed to the sower and bread for food will also supply and increase your store of seed and will enlarge the harvest of your righteousness. You will be enriched in every way so that you can be generous on every occasion, and through us your generosity will result in thanksgiving to God. This service you perform is not only supplying the needs of the Lord's people, but it is also overflowing in many expressions of thanks to God. Because of the service by which you have proved yourselves, others will praise God for the obedience that accompanies your confession of the gospel of Christ and for your generosity in sharing with them and with everyone else. And in their prayers for you, their hearts will go out to you because of the surprising grace God has given you. Thanks be to God for his indescribable grace gift. And then just one verse also from the Gospel 
of John. John chapter 3, verse 8. John chapter 3, verse 8. The wind blows wherever it pleases. You hear its sound, but you cannot tell where it comes from or where it is going. So it is with everyone born of the Spirit. God, thank you for your word. We ask that you would come to us again in power, come to us quietly as our teacher so we can hear your voice. In Jesus' name, amen. One of the great things about being a pastor is you get to hang out with the youth group. And uh, a few years ago, I was at Darien Lake with our church youth group, and it was when the, the Superman, or I think it's called the Man of Steel roller coaster, was relatively new, and the kids in our youth group were really excited about riding it, and the group that I was in was all excited, got right in line, and I'm really terrified of heights. I like roller coasters, but heights, oh, I don't know. But these kids that I was chaperoning really, really, really wanted to do that roller coaster, and I'll be darned if I was going to be the chicken and sit out. So we got in line, and it was kind of a long line, so I had a long time to worry. And I, as we got closer and closer, I felt myself kind of getting sick with fear. I mean, you know in the back of your mind that a roller coaster is not going to kill you, but... I don't know, that hype. See, I feel kind of queasy just thinking about it now. <laughs> so I didn't want to chicken out, and we got closer and closer, and finally, you know, they strap you in, and you're like, there's no going back. <laughs> what have I done? And we rode that roller coaster, and that one particularly goes up really, really, really high. I think it's like eight stories or something ridiculous like that, and then just drops you right down at the beginning. It was completely terrifying, and as soon as we got off the roller coaster, we all looked at each other and said, that was so terrifying. Let's do it again. <laughs> There's a fine line, an interesting relationship between fear and joy, isn't there? Have you ever had that experience? where fear just got adjusted a little bit and you discovered that it was actually joy. It's an interesting relationship. Sometimes it just takes trying something. Maybe even because you just don't want to be the chicken who steps aside and says, I can't do this, <laughs> like me with the roller coaster. Sometimes it just takes trying something to move from fear to joy. There's something in our lives that causes a lot of us a lot of fear, and that is money and possessions. And Jesus talked about money all the time, I think because he knew what a hold it tends to have on us and its potential in our lives to cause us so much anxiety and fear. He talked about money all the time. According to Howard Dayton, 
16 of the 38 parables were concerned with how to handle money and possessions. And listen to this. In the Gospels, uh, one out of 10 verses, that's 288 verses in all, deal directly with the subject of money. The Bible offers 500 verses on prayer, a little bit fewer than 500 verses on faith, but more than 2,000 verses on money and possessions. God knew we needed some help with this subject. So when you think about how important money and possessions are in our lives, wouldn't it be ridiculous if our faith had nothing to say to this subject? Wouldn't it be just a shame if our faith had no help for us? On this important subject, that's why we're talking about stewardship, about money and possessions, and what our faith has to say about it. I know that uh, sometimes it's like um, walking on eggshells to address this subject, but, but Jesus seemed to think that we could really move from fear to joy in this subject. And wouldn't that be an amazing thing? So it's budget time. And sure, it does help to have funding to, uh, to keep the lights on. And I'm glad there's heat in here today. I don't know about you and paper to print our bulletins on. But really, that's not why we talk about money in the church. It's because it has so much to do with our hearts. Jesus said where our money is, where our, our, our money is, our hearts are also. Where our treasure is, our hearts are also. Really, this is about wisdom. Great wisdom that's available that can help money be a source of joy in our lives instead of a source of fear. And why would we want to miss out on that? Paul here in 2 Corinthians is writing to his beloved church in Corinth. This is a church that is uh, beloved and troubled and complicated and amazing and world-changing and heartbreaking. These people are real people that he's writing to. And what he has to say is full of encouragement. I hope that it will give joy to those of you who already know the joy of being generous with God generous with your money. I hope that it will spur you on and give you continued joy as you give. And I hope that it will give courage to those of you who give sporadically or who have never moved from joy, from fear to joy around the area of money. I hope that it will give you courage to join in regular planned and generous giving because there is great joy there. So Paul is writing here to the Corinthians and if you read back a little bit um, on some of the background of what he's addressing here, you find out that during the previous year, Titus, one of Paul's helpers, had started a collection among the Corinthian Christians to um, collect money for the Christians in Jerusalem. 
the, the, the church in Jerusalem was suffering greatly with a famine, and this was the, sort of the mother church. Their faith had come from Jerusalem, and so Paul was saying, let's, uh, let's support our mothers and fathers in the faith and help them in their time of need. So now Paul sends Titus and others and representatives of their churches to Corinth to carry this letter and to complete the collection. He suggests that the best way for the Corinthian Christians to give proof of their love to the arriving delegates is to have the collection ready. There was obviously a practical need going on in the Jerusalem church, but Paul was also looking at the kingdom of God here. He was painting a picture for them of what life in the kingdom of God can really be like because when you see Gentiles sending gifts of their hard-earned money to Jews, then you know the kingdom of God has come among you. So Paul sees this in its greater context. And there are three things Paul says here that can really encourage us this morning. Well, there's a lot here, but we're just going to pull out three things. And the first thing is this. God's math is different than our math. God's math is different than our math. Read verse 6 again. If you sow sparingly, you reap sparingly. And whoever sows generously will reap generously. It was probably about fourth grade that all of us learned to do word problems in math, right? Problems like if you have $1,000 and you give away $100, how much do you have left? In fourth grade, that kind of thing seems really challenging, doesn't it? If you have $1,000 and you give away 100 you have $900 left. But in God's math, it doesn't work that way. We tend to see giving as losing. Like when we put that money in the offering plate, we tend to think, oh, that could be a car payment. <laughs> or, oh, that could be part of my house payment. But in God's math, it doesn't work out that way. John Piper says, in God's mathematics, the best way to increase a sum is to subtract from it. In other words, giving grows more toward the sum. Reminds me of Proverbs 11:24. One person gives freely, yet gains even more. Another withholds unduly, but comes to poverty. God's math is different than our math. If you sow sparingly, you reap sparingly. But if you sow generously, you reap generously. Most of us tend to naturally just operate on a principle exactly opposite of that. That if we, we will have more if we give less. That's sort of the logical way of thinking about it. But in God's math that what happens is if we put God and his promises in our finances and it, things turn out the opposite. God says if you, put, if you subtract more seed from your bag and sow it out there, you have more in the end than if you subtract less seed from your bag and keep more in there. 
That's God's promise to us. His math is different than our math. Brennan, our friend who testified this morning on the video, he learned this. God doesn't always make it come out so clearly and so quickly, but God often does show himself in really clear and fast ways to new believers to help us grow in our faith, to believe that he does take care of us. I know I could testify all morning long about the ways God has taken care of me and Pastor Bill and our family. So many times when we felt that nudge from the Holy Spirit to be generous and we weren't sure where exactly that would come from, but sense that, you know, we can trust God. And again and again, he's just met our needs over and over again in ways we never could have expected. You know, he and I never actually paid money for a television until three years ago. Our whole adult lives, every single time our television would die, like the next day someone would say, you know anybody who needs a TV? I have an extra one. (laughs) And that just became a little reminder to us that God has always got this. He has ways of taking care of us in his math that we can't even understand. So that's the first thing. God's math is different than our math. Second thing is this. God loves cheerful givers. Listen to verse 7 again. Each of you should give what you've decided in your heart to give, not reluctantly or under compulsion, for God loves a cheerful giver. For a long time, I thought this verse was sort of like when adults say to kids, now say your please and thank you. You know, be polite. So when you give to God, do it with a smile on your face because you should act cheerful when you give, right? But I think it's something way, way, way deeper than that. This is actually a completely wonderful truth about God not just an instruction for us to be polite. This is a wonderful truth about God, that God takes great joy when we show joy, when we have joy in our giving. That Greek word for cheerful, being a cheerful giver, is hilaron, which is the word we get our, our, our word hilarious from. God loves a hilarious giver. That's joy in giving. He's talking about joy. Have you ever seen two people exchanging a gift and, and, and the person who's giving it is so excited that if you were to just take a snapshot of that moment when the gift is being given, you wouldn't be able to tell Who's more excited, the receiver or the giver, or even who is the receiver and who is the giver? That's joy. Have you ever been so excited to give a gift? Like sitting on the edge of your seat saying, open my next, open my next, you're going to love this. That's joy in giving. That's being a cheerful giver. Wouldn't it be terrible if God wasn't excited about that? But he is. He is. God loves it when his children are happy 
and joyful in their giving. God sits at the edge of his throne to see and savor the joy of every gift that we give. And he's pushing us in this text to just enjoy that giving as much as possible, to enjoy the giving experience. God enjoys your enjoyment of generosity. And God created us to find joy and not fear in generosity. Piper says, when you set your heart to be part of this rhythm of generous joy, you tap into an infinite source of divine power, God's sovereign love and cheerful giving, turning from fear to joy in giving. So that's the second thing. God loves a cheerful giver. Here's the third thing. And that is God has power to provide for cheerful givers. God has power to provide for cheerful givers. God has the power to give cheerful givers enough for themselves and abundance to share with others. Listen to verses 10 and 11. Now he who supplies seed to the sower and bread for food will also supply and increase your store of seed and, and enlarge the harvest of your righteousness. It doesn't necessarily say enlarge your monetary harvest, but the harvest of your righteousness, you will be enriched in every way so that you can be generous on every occasion. And through us, your generosity will result in thanksgiving to God. The point is God gives us more than we need. And the reason he does is not so that we can just store up the excess and keep it for ourselves, but so we can provide for others and do good things with that, to give to the poor, to missionaries, to ministries, to see God's kingdom deepen and expand and grow throughout the world. These verses can be summed up this way. God gives enough for us and enough for others, abundance to share with others. God's provided a way for money to be not a source of fear, but a source of joy. That's fearless generosity. At a church meeting, a very wealthy man rose to tell the rest of those present about his Christian faith. I'm a millionaire, he said, and I attribute it all to the rich blessings of God in my life. I remember the turning point in my faith, he said. I had just earned my first dollar, and I went to a church meeting that night. The speaker was a missionary who told about his work. I knew that I only had one dollar, and I had to either give it all to the Lord's work or nothing at all. So at that moment, I decided to give my whole dollar to God. I believe that God blessed that decision, and that is why I am a rich man today. He finished, and there was an odd silence as his testimony sunk in, and he's moved back to his seat. As he sat down, a little old lady sitting in the same pew leaned over to him and said, I dare you to do it again. That's our challenge, to give it 
all to God. That is fearless generosity. It all belongs to God anyway. Why do we need to be afraid? Today we're talking about fearless generosity as we set our sails to sail forward as a church. We talk a lot about sailing here. You may have noticed that, that we have sailboats all over the place. Sail is our vision. Say it with me. If you need a little reminder, it's on the back of your bulletin. What are the four things that SAIL stands for? Seek Jesus. Activate your faith. Invest in God's mission. Love completely. This is our discipleship pathway, helping people move from seeking Jesus or even discovering that Jesus is seeking them to coming to a faith in Christ and learning to come alive in their faith, and then learning to disciple others and being mentored in how that happens, and then putting it into practice and living a life of helping others to be disciples. We put it all on a map. If you don't have one of these maps, there are some right behind the sound booth. You can grab one as you go out. But this kind of envisions our map, our, 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 our vision, um, on a map so that we can see it and not just have it in our minds. We think about ourselves as a church, sort of as a sailboat. We're out there sailing. And the wind that pushes our sails is the Holy Spirit. This verse we read from John reminds us that the wind blows wherever it pleases. God's Spirit, the word for spirit and the word for wind are the same word. And God's Spirit moves us Whenever, wherever he wants us to go. Someone once said, it's the set of the sails, not the direction of the wind, that determined the direction we go. We really want to be ready to catch that wind of God's Spirit. We know God is sending the wind of his Spirit. And our, my question today is, how well are our sails set to catch that wind. Stewardship is how we set our sails. It's how we put ourselves in the best possible position as a church to catch the wind of God's Spirit. And we're taking the time to get our sails set to catch the wind of God's Spirit. And around the area of stewardship, we do this through openness, through communication, and through really looking at what God has to say and where he is pushing us to move forward. If you look in your bulletin, you'll see that every week we put a financial update in there. It's right next to the sale pictures right at the top because we want you to know as a body where we are financially uh, and where we're headed. And you can see that we're a little bit behind this year, and we've updated you on this several times throughout the year, that uh, our budget needed year-to-date is about 40000 behind, and then our building fund, which is not raising money to build a new building, but to, to pay our mortgage on this beautiful new building, um, that that is also about $42,000 behind. The good news is our operating costs are really running about the same as our income. So we haven't gotten far behind there. 
if we were going to spend our whole budget than we would be, but we're not spending up to budget, at least so far this year. With Building Fund, we've been able to use reserves to pay our mortgage every month, so um, we've been keeping up with it that way, but as you all know, you can't live on reserves forever. So we want to do two things, to help us to finish the year strong and then to enter next year as strong as possible with our sales set as well as they can be to catch the wind of God's spirit. Imagine what we could do with the money that's going to pay the interest on our mortgage. Imagine the ministry that we could accomplish with that. That would be raising our sales even higher to catch more of God's spirit. So here are the two things. You'll be getting in the mail this week, if you're on our mailing list, uh, a letter from Pastor Bill and me, and in it will be a, a card. And that card is an invitation to you to take some time and to really think and pray and ask God what he is leading you to give in the year 2017. It's not a legal contract. We won't be sending you bills for whatever you put on there, but there's something in our human nature that really benefits from, from writing it down, from planning ahead, from thinking through and praying over it, and making a commitment. So that card is meant to be a tool for you to have that conversation with God. And then we ask that you bring those cards back next Sunday and we will give them to the Lord and we will celebrate what he is going to do in the year 2017 through our fearless generosity. Here's the second thing. This is really exciting. Someone in our church family has challenged us with a matching gift to end 2016 in the strongest way possible. They will match up to $20,000 of our gifts, the rest of our gifts, if we can give by the end of the year to really end 2016 in a strong position. So there's two things for you to think about and pray about. One is an above and beyond matching gift. And the other is, what is God leading you to do in 2017? If you are a parent, then I urge you to, to get your kids involved in this as well. Teach your kids to tithe. It will be a great gift to them for their whole lives to be able to get into this habit now and not to have to wrestle with it later. This is a great opportunity for us to move from fear to joy and to see what God will do with us as a church family in the coming year. Three young swallows were perched on a dead branch that stretched out over a lake Eugene Peterson, in his book, Running with Horses, tells about watching them. He says, one adult swallow got alongside those three little chicks and started shoving them out toward the edge of the branch, pushing, 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 and the end one fell off. 
And somewhere between the surface of the water and the branch, the wings started working, and that little chick that had never flown before was off flying on its own. Then the, the adult bird started pushing and pushing the next two, and the next one fell off, and the same thing. Before it hit the water, it spread its wings and began to fly, but the third one was not interested in participating in this process. He watched while the, the adult bird pushed and pushed and pushed, and at the last possible moment, he, the, the fledgling loosened his grip on the branch and, and flopped down below and then held on tight, <laughs> hanging below the branch, upside down, and swung back and forth and held on for dear life. Well, the, the parent bird started pecking, 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 pecking at those desperately clinging little talons until it became more painful for the chick to hold on than to risk the insecurities of flying. And finally it let go and nature took its course and it began to fly. The mature swallow knew what the chick did not know, that it would fly, and there was no danger in making it do what it was designed to do. Peterson writes, birds have feet and can walk. Birds have talons and can grasp a branch securely. They can walk and they can cling, but flying is what they were really made to do. And not until they are flying are they living at their best, gracefully and beautifully. Giving is what we do best. We were created for it. It is in the air in which we were born. It is the action that was designed into us before we were born. Some of us try to hold on desperately desperately to that branch. And we look so bedraggled and pathetic doing it, holding on for dear life, afraid to try those wings of giving. Peterson says, many people don't think they can live generously because they've never tried. We were created to live lives of fearless generosity. We were made to sail. Mark Twain said, 20 years from now, you will be more disappointed by the things that you didn't do than by the things you did. So throw off the bowlines. Sail away from the safe harbor. Catch the trade winds in your sails. Explore, dream, discover. Let's sail. Let's sail. Will you pray with me? God, you're so much bigger than we expect. Would you give us the gift today of joy? And would you grow in each one of us a deeper ability to be 
fearlessly generous. We're scared, Lord, but we, we trust you. In Jesus' name, amen.